I want to do something a little different today right now. I want to take uh, the founding verse of our church, and I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want to teach you how I pray over my life and over my family, uh, specifically with the verse that God has given us that's the foundation of our church. The name Oaks Church is not because we were on Oak Street. It's because God calls his people Oaks of Righteousness, growing great lives, people's lives that honor and glorify God. Oaks of righteousness. That's what we're about. That's our vision is to help build and develop the people of God to be strong, to be powerful in their faith, to live a life that exemplifies his excellence and his glory. And and so that's what we're about. We want to raise up strong families, Oaks strong, people that are powerful in God. And that's our vision. That's what we do. And that's why we do all the different ministries that we do. But this verse that's up on the screen. They're going to put it up here for me. I'm going to have you guys, if you would, just stand to your feet. And I'm going to start praying this verse and I'm going to pray it over you, but I want you to begin to pray it over yourself. And I want to teach you how I do this, because this is something I think is so powerful that we understand and learn how to take God's word and put it into our mouths. You understand that God is a creator and he creates through speaking. You understand that? God is a creator and he creates through speaking and he created you in his image and according to his likeness, which means you are also a creator and you create through speaking and what comes out of your mouth, it forms the environment of your life. It affects the foundation of your family. And so I want to take this verse and I'm just going to begin to pray this, but I don't want you to listen to me pray. Oaks Church culture is not a culture where we sit around and listen while someone else prays. This is a culture where we pray. We all pray. And we can get loud with it. It's okay to be still and know that he's God. It's also okay to make a declaration and a joyful noise before him. Amen. So if you're sitting at home right now, you're going to see this verse. I want you to start praying right where you are. If you're in the car, if you're in a hotel room, wherever you are right now, this verse right here is the foundation of who, number one, the ministry of Jesus Christ, who Jesus was, but also who God has called us to be as his representatives. Are you ready? All right, so let's start it like this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. I want you to start praying that right now. Just writing it right now with me. Start praying just that part of the verse. Father, your spirit is upon me. Your Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God is upon me. I'm not just a lower level spirit. I have the spirit of the living God upon me, upon my life. For you have anointed me. That means to be smeared with the presence of God. Everywhere I go, everywhere I go, I carry the presence of the living God. This church, these people are anointed with the presence of the living God. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. The spirit of God is upon you for he has anointed you. His presence is on you to carry his nature in to the world around you. And what is he anointed you to do? It says to proclaim good news to the poor. People that are poor naturally, people that are poor spiritually, people that are poor emotionally. God has given good news for you. Good news for you to carry. Say that with me. Say, I will proclaim good news to the poor. I will release the blessing of God over the lives of people that I encounter. For the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. I am anointed to proclaim good news. Not only that, to bind up the brokenhearted, 
The anointing of God, say that, the anointing of God is on me to heal, to bind up brokenhearted people. So I will have a sensitivity to the Spirit of God to recognize when someone's hurting, when someone's suffering, when someone's going through stuff, so that I can release that anointing to heal the brokenhearted. Not only that, but to uh, proclaim freedom for those that are captive and released from darkness, those that are prisoners. That anointing is on you. Say that with me. The anointing is on me to bring freedom and to release people that are captive, people that are in darkness. That anointing is on me. I carry the spirit of the living God and powerful works will follow me in my life because of the anointing of Jesus Christ. Come on, lift up your voice and begin to praise Him. Lift up your voice and begin to declare His goodness in your life. Thank Him for all the goodness in your life. He's called you to be powerful. He's called you to be a leader. He's called you to be a restorer. He's called you to be a rebuilder, to be a renewer. He's called you to bring life and hope and peace everywhere you go. You're powerful. You're powerful. In Jesus' name. Come on, just give the Lord a hand. He's good. He's so good. I want you to start doing that in your own personal life. One of the most powerful things you can do is to learn how to pray God's word over your life. Pray God's word over your family. Make declarations of God's word. His word is true. His word is true. And when you declare it over your life, it's powerful. It's powerful. Every single one of you have a ministry. Ministry means to serve. Doesn't mean to be served. It means to serve. We have a, a ministry that God has called us to serve other people. Amen? Amen. Well, you may be seated. Thank you so much for uh, doing that with us. I just want to uh, empower you this week. Uh, we're in the middle of this uh, relationship restoration or re relationship rescue series. And today, when we designed the topic for today, the topic was leading at any level. Leading at any level. And as the team and I were uh, talking about this and planning out this service, uh, I thought of, of my friend Jeff Willie. Uh, Jeff Willie is a leadership expert, and I thought, man, how cool would it be if Jeff would come and we could kind of tag team this service and work on it together? Jeff is a professor. Uh, he's a military officer in the Air Force. He was a trainer and a, a coach in the military. He's also been a police officer. Uh, he's been a SWAT trainer, SWAT coach, all kinds of stuff. Uh, he's got multiple degrees. He's a highly educated person. You know, one of the things that you need to do if you want to have a successful life is you want to find friends that inspire you. And that's why I hang out with Jeff Willie. Jeff Willie inspires me. His story is amazing. And you're going to hear some of his uh, story today. But Jeff has his own leadership company and he specializes in what he calls the why of leadership, understanding uh, the story that God has given you in your personal journey and finding out why God had you walk through that and how you can use that story to benefit the lives of people around you. So without any further ado, would you help me welcome my good friend, Professor Jeff Willie. Come on up. All right, well, we're going to attempt to sit down on these stools here. 
um, I had to have my stool, a uh, short leg approved. You know how that works? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You can't be up here on a tall stool and you start spinning and, and then can't get yourself some help. So I got my short leg uh, stool here and I went with the long-toed shoes in case, I'm just choking their regular shoes, but I don't wear those shoes, the shoes that make you way taller. Jeff made a short joke in or first service. I'm going to hope he doesn't do it in second service. Five seven is very tall in Korea. Uh, so have you know. Anyway, well, my friend Jeff is here, and Jeff and I have a long friend. How long have we been friends? Man, 10 years or more? A long time. Um, and, and Jeff is someone that I go to. We've had a lot of talks. You know, Jeff and I have, uh, I, I hope you have friends that you can have hard talks with when stuff's going on in the world, and you can talk about hard subjects. I've got friends like that. I, I, I'm not looking for, for yes friends. I need some friends that'll shoot me straight. I need some friends that'll give me perspective. I need, I need friends that'll help me to understand things because I grew up the way I grew up. You grew up the way you grew up. And, and it, we can't assume that the way we grew up is how everything is. And Jeff's story, when I heard his story, I was just absolutely blown away uh, by his story and what God has brought him through, specifically because he's so highly educated, so well-spoken, uh, has done so many things. I think you've retired like four times. Uh, he keeps, uh, you know, so I mean, he literally has retired from all these different roles and stepped into something new and different and just is always open for the adventure. And he just inspires me. Jeff, can you tell us just a little bit about your story and how you came to this concept of? having a, a why-based leadership. Are you ready? Are you anticipating? Oh, yeah. Are you excited? Oh, yeah. I want to start it out this way, and then I will answer Joel's question before I give him. Of course, I have to give him his, uh, his flutter, his attaboy. But I want to read this to you first, and this is from Mother Teresa, and this is a foundation for everything that I do. It stays with me. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, people will... If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, People may cheat you. Be honest and frank. Anyway. If you spend years building, someone could destroy it overnight. Build. Anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy. Anyway. The good you and I do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you have. Anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them. Anyway. That is the foundation for my story, and you're going to hear my story. And when you hear people's story or you see, hear people's glory, what Joel talked about in my bio, that was the glory. But the journey is the story. And you heard the perfection. And the perfection will inspire you. But my responsibility is not to inspire you. My responsibility today is to transform you. 
That's the ultimate goal of what I do because inspiration is only for a moment. Transformation is for a lifetime and we have to be transformed. And if it wasn't for Jesus going to the cross, I wouldn't be here today. And when you hear parts of my story, you understand the why of my leadership. I'm going to give you a quote, and I didn't share it with the first group, but one of the couple of quotes that I use, and it's really the foundation, is inspire until you expire. Did you get that? Inspire until I expire. No matter what our age is, we have a responsibility to continue to serve one another. And so until God called me home, I have a responsibility to feed you, to serve you. That is my responsibility. And God has not called me home yet. So I have to continue to inspire, to transform lives. Joel asked me the why of leadership. And it's not about leadership. It's the why I do what I do. Yes, I have transitioned from multiple careers. I don't like using the word retired because that becomes a state of mind and it becomes a state of being and all of a sudden you have a state of leaving this earth very quickly. All we're doing now is waiting for the funeral. <laughs> and so I like using the word transition. I spent 26 years in the Air Force, transitioned from that. I spent 20 years in the collegiate classroom, transitioned from that. I spent 20 years based on the TRS teacher retirement in the, in the high school classroom, transitioned from that. And now I do everything I do out of my why. Allow me to give you some dates. And hopefully we'll get to some scripture here today, this section as well, because we're going to talk about the why, leading thyself first, leading oneself first, and that's coming from Nehemiah, the first chapter. So if you want to look that up, the first chapter of Nehemiah, talking about leading yourself. You know what, we know what Jesus did. Jesus employed 12 young men to follow me, and he trained them, didn't he? Jesus in Christ calls Moses, Lord to call Moses. We talked about Joseph this morning as well. All the different things that Joseph went through. I didn't go through anything that Joseph went through. I've never been thrown in jail. I've been shot at, but I've never been thrown in jail. I've been shot in the civilian world, and I've been shot at in the military world. So I have been shot at. Nothing went through me. It went by me. All because of the grace of God. It went by me, not through me. And it was a lot of times I could hear them going by me, literally, in my role in the United States military. And it, Let me give you some dates. Four dates. Maybe five. I think I shared five this morning. But let me give you the dates, and then I'm going to have the gentleman bring up some photos to talk about that, to answer the question, my why of leadership, why I do what I do today. Because I do say no. When people ask me to do this, it doesn't connect to my why. So based on my transition from multiple careers, I can say, no. That's what I do, okay? I can say no. Because it's not about the resources. It's not about the finances. It's about the purpose. And it's about the mission. How about I give you a date of 1835? Was anyone around during that date? Anyone in the room around during that date? Well, 1835 was... Gilbert Willie, birth year, my great-grandfather. 
If anyone knows anything about history, we had slavery in this country then. And my great-grandfather was born into slavery in 1835, Gilbert Willett. How about I go fast forward to 1866? My grandfather, John Willie. Now, some of you are thinking, man, 1866? Some of you can't even have even read that in a history book. But that's part of my DNA. That's part of my last name. 1866, my grandfather, John Willie, the firstborn of Gilbert Willie, Gilbert and Margaret Willie, in 1866, one year after the Emancipation Proclamation, for the state, especially for the state of Texas. Let's fast forward. How about 1910? Oh, that's still old for some of you, isn't it? Well, those are new dates for me. Those are young dates for me. Because that's the year that my father was born to John and Lena Willie. 1910. And, and all these folks was born in rural East Texas. How about I even move forward to 1922? 1922, and of course my father was born in 1810, so you can do the math. In 1922, my father, Hobie Willie, was 11 years old. My grandfather, John Willie, passed away. And my father, being the oldest, now responsible for taking care of his siblings and his mom in 1922. So you see the foundation that's being led for my, into, into my life. And then let's fast forward to present moment, 1957. Guess who entered the earth? Yeah. <laughs> the present moment I showed up and the world has never been the same since <laughs> yeah. but 1910 1947 1957 so my father was just had his 47th birthday when I was born but in the early 1930s or 1940s my father ended World War II but let's talk about some pictures of the why, who I come from let's how yeah, about the first photo? D. Berry, Texas. Anyone familiar with the state of Texas? Some of you are, maybe. How about anyone familiar with Panola County, Texas? Uh, close to Louisiana, close to Louisiana borderline. That's where I grew up. That's where it started, right there, D. Berry. I like using that photo. I found it on Google, of course. Okay. When you want something, now you find it on Google, don't you? Okay. So I found that photo, and I realized it, that this is part of me. And then, but this was not on Google. I took this next picture myself, personally. And that's the picture of the um, historical mark in my community of Deberry, Texas, named after Confederate Colonel Alfred Deberry. Named after him. That's why that little community that I grew up named after Confederate Colonel Alfred Deberry. That's, I took that picture. Right there on 31, right there, corner 120, 79, Highway 79 that holds in the Shreveport, and then 120, and 31 that goes into what I call Harrison County, which is Marshall in the area over there. So that's what. Okay, the next picture. And that's the, uh, that man started it all with me. And that's my father being discharged from the United States Army in 1945 in Camp Bowie, Texas. And so guess what he did when he entered the United States Army in 1942, being responsible for taking care of his mom and his siblings. So a means for that was to enter the United States military. So started the path for me entering the military, of course. But he got discharged in 1945 and I have his, his DE Form 214. That is a discharge document for the United States military. I have that document. And what I saw in that document, 
I loved my paycheck when I was active duty Air Force because, man, I was wealthy when I was active duty Air Force. My dad's paycheck was $25. Whoo! $25. I could not fathom that. I have that, I have that document reflecting his discharge in that moment. Now, next picture, which is my mom and dad. He married that beautiful lady, my mother, in 1947. But when he met my mother, my mother had already had, was, was married before. She was married to a gentleman, and then he left her with three little girls and pregnant with my older brother. Just bluff. I don't know the story. Because a lot of these senior citizens this time do not share all those different things. And so I'm still trying to find some of those answers to those questions. Why would he leave? And then my father shows up after World War II and he goes into the woods and he sees this lady living in his shack with four little girls and pregnant. And so his responsibility and why I do what I do today, his responsibility, I got to take care of this person because she needs help. And so he starts chopping wood, shooting squirrels, rabbits, killing possums and raccoons and providing meals and taking care of my mother with four little girls and pregnant with my older brother. And she said, this guy is taking care of me and he's handsome. I think we can say I do. And, and they said I do. They said I do. And he moved her from that shack to this shack. Next picture. Is it up there? No, it's not. Next week, there it comes. There it comes. Into that shack. And so now we move going from one shack to the shack, and eventually I was born in that shack. Four rooms, all those kids, because between my mother and my father, when they're all the children, it was six boys and six girls. And so even though my sister's older siblings had different last names, but we called ourselves the Willie Dozen. The Willie Dozen. No electricity, no running water, no TV, no television. Anyone had television growing up? Anyone have a car growing up? I had none of those amenities. No telephone, living in the woods. And guess what? In the midst of that surroundings, yes, we had chickens, we had a mule. I plowed with the mule. I rode the back on the wagon to church being pulled by a mule. I, 1957, birth. I rode the back of the church on a, on a wagon being pulled by a mule. I still know some of the commands plowing with that mule as a little boy. You were thinking, no way, living in Dallas and Allen and McKinney, all this wealth up here, and we got people that, yes, you never know who your neighbors are. You never know who your neighbors are. You never know their story. All you see are their glory. And so, yes, and that's, a, that's, that's my why. That's part of it. And I'll get to the rest of it in a minute. One pair of shoes. And once we left school and got home, we took those shoes off. Once we left church, we took those shoes off. And the rest of the time, we had on some sandals, didn't we? No. What do you think we had on? Nothing. Bare feet. That was it. That was it. And so the next picture. Inside the home. And can you recognize which one of those kids are me? Can you tell? Yeah. Yeah, the one in the back with that big smile. Yeah, I, I actually had white teeth then. Yeah, that was it. But behind us is the fireplace. And in the summertime, we just cover the fireplace up because we don't need the heat. But in the wintertime, we take that cover up, and that becomes our source of heat, the wood stove, 
the wood heater. That was our primary source of heat. The chimney in the back. I learned to play baseball throwing rocks on that chimney, throwing stones on that chimney. Sometimes some potatoes that we picked out of the garden. Dad would say, boy, I thought throwing away this food. Did that. Okay, absolutely. Next picture. Can you pick out which one is me? Yeah, you probably can. Dirt, dirt road. You see my beautiful suit I'm wearing to church that day? You see how nice I'm dressed? That was what we were at. And sometimes it was a rope holding those pans up. Sometimes it was not a rope holding those pans up. That was the environment. And we did a lot of games. And I can tell you, when my father hunted for those squirrels, rabbits, and, cahoon, and raccoons, I say this, if it moved, we ate it. <laughs> Except the dogs. Dogs survived. Because we... <laughs> We needed the dogs, of course, to hunt with, and then we needed the dogs to alert us when coyotes and fox came into the yard, going into the chicken coop. But everything else, if it moved, if it moved I ate it. Absolutely. And then, next slide. Yeah, I look pretty, I look pretty good. Hey, all right. <laughs> My wife was here first service. Okay. She was here, she's not here, right? She's not here at this service. She was here first service. But 1976, when I graduated high school, I had an afro. But I share that story because of, I want to talk about the, the impact of getting to that point, going back. Riding to church on the back of the wagon, listening to those African-American pastors preach the whooping, Inspiring, but not transforming. Inspiring, but not transforming. Not transforming lives, because my lives was not transformed by listening to their teaching. Why? Because their lives were not transformed. Their lives was, their lives was not a reflection of what Jesus was supposed to be, and that is to serve and not be served. And most of those African-American pastors during that generation did not seek out professional development, education, training to develop themselves first to be able to serve the God's people well. And they wanted to be served, and they will serve. I remember about five years of age, God, I did not have the emotional intelligence or the academic intelligence, but the Spirit spoke to me when I was about five years of age when his pastor showed up at a house in the woods, the house you just saw, my mother's cooking the chicken and all the different things we do on Sunday, the cakes and pies, and then now it's time to feed the pastor, and she's sending the children to the back room until the pastor ate. And I'm looking through the hole and saying, and the Spirit just saying, something is wrong with this picture. I felt it in my spirit. To this day, I'm 66 years of age, and I still speak about that. Something was out of order in that photo and what I was seeing as a five-year-old. And Why did God speak that to me when I was that young? And now, fast forward, the reason I do what I do because of that moment is to train pastors. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And those young men that was pastors and modeling, was, they were not modeling Jesus-like servant leadership. So that's why I do. And then fast forward to school. In the seventh grade, first year of integration, because prior to that, I was in a segregated school, Eastside Elementary, Toronto Elementary, and those schools lacked the necessary resources for proper education. 
and they also lack the growth and development for those administrators and those leaders. Why I do what I do today. Why leadership? Those are, you can see my primary audience are who? Church leaders and education, edu educational leaders. So here I am in the seventh grade, my first year of integration, and I'm in a school in a classroom with primarily white students, and my teacher, of course, was white. And I'll never forget her name because those things resonate and stay with you like glue. They never leave you. You forgive. That's why I say forgive them anyway. Forgive them anyway. Do good anyway. Okay, achieve anyway. Have fun anyway. Live anyway, regardless. And so here, my seventh grade teacher asking us to stand and say, please, everyone, introduce yourself and give them your name. And I stood up, and my name is Jeffrey Willie. And she stood up and said to me, a seventh grader was proud of his name and said, boy, don't you know your name? Your name is Willie Jeffrey. I felt about that big. I wanted to crawl under the carpet. And I walked around the entire seventh grade, the boy that didn't know his name, a target on my back. Could not immerse myself into the culture of going to school because I had a target on my back. I don't know my name. The name that my parents gave me because that teacher was accustomed to hearing a last name being Willie. Her culture, not my culture. The important of bracing diversity in the culture is important, isn't it? Know people where they are. And so here I am in the seventh grade. Now I talk about that because I needed to go through that to be able to do what I do today. Fast forward to the eighth grade. Now I have an African-American teacher, male teacher. Should be a role model. Should be a real role model. Speaking to young African-American boys inside of that classroom. And I'm 13 in, in the eighth grade. And I'm hanging, now I get a chance to hang out with some of my friends. And I still know their names. Once already passed away. But I still know they remember their names. And we have been, and I'm not... And I'm an eighth grader, and I'm hanging out with those boys. We in the back of the classroom are doing exactly what eighth grade boys do. We're not listening to the teacher. And that eighth grade African-American teacher pointed, pointed at us and said, and I'm going to point at, I'm not going to point at, I'm going to point at Tyler, use Tyler. You boys are stupid, and you're never going to amount to anything. Don't do algebra in an eighth grade. Man, that's resonated with me for years. It took me a lot of years to overcome that word S. And some of you see S as another word, but the power of words. I wrote two articles for Good Life Family Magazine in Plano, Texas. The title of the article, How Poverty Produced a Platform, The Power, Life and Death are in the Words. Life and death are in the words, and that impacted me significantly because those preachers and that leadership and that title did not have the skill set to give them anyway. 
that teacher called me stupid and didn't know my name, forgive them anyway. That's why I do what I do. That's why I travel the globe. That's why I do pastoral counseling, pastoral teaching, and leadership development courses because everything rises and falls on leadership. And if you're not growing yourself in the word of God, you are doing yourself and your organization a disservice. That's why I do what I do. Those are my two primary sources. And then I want to share this picture, the next picture. And then I'll let Joe get to the next question. But that's why I do what I do. And then I use this picture because I say I went from the, remember the old home that you saw earlier? I went from the outhouse to the White House. That's awesome. Thank you, Jeff. You know, I, he mentioned uh, the story in the Bible of Joseph, and that's always been a story that inspires me. Uh, I want to ask Jeff about some of his heroes and some of his inspirations. Uh, but w when I was praying about the service, and specifically the concept of the topic of leading at any level, I instantly thought of Joseph and what he walked through, being a prince. Uh, he went from being a prince to being property, a and then from property to being a prisoner. And he was forgotten, and he was neglected, and he was overlooked, and he was, uh, for 13 years, stuck in, in a pretty hopeless situation. But every single level that Joseph found himself, he made a decision to lead. And he was the absolute best as, a, as, as property. He was the best. He was, he was put in charge of everything. As a prisoner, he was the best, and he was put in charge of everything. And then all of a sudden, he comes into a season of promotion, and, and he finds himself in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And just the level of excellence and the, uh, the refusal of taking on offense. It's such a different world. Uh, when, I, when I look at Jeff and I see what I would describe as a Joseph anointing, someone that makes, has made a decision to be excellent, to not make excuses, to, to rise above and to better himself for the benefit, not just of himself, but for what you can give away. Uh, the thing I never hear about uh, with you, Jeff, is I never hear about what you're trying to get. I always hear about what you're trying to give. And, I, you know, Jeff and I grew up very differently. I grew up in a suburb. I grew up with a neighborhood with a swimming pool and, and all kinds of different amenities and things of that nature. I, I, I don't have the same story that Jeff does, but Jeff's story speaks to me. And, and I wanted you to hear it. I wanted you to, 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 to be able to feel and to glean from that story because we, we live in a world right now, Jeff, where... Um, uh, and, and I know because I know parts of your story, I know how your father taught you um, to to rise above things. And and we have a culture we live in now that I would love for you to speak to that is almost like the culture is teaching people to to live in their pain and to and to, and to become their pain as opposed to rise above that and become something greater. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Great question. <clears throat> Let me just share a story. Joel might ask the question, he asked the question this morning, who are my heroes? Obviously Jesus, Nehemiah, Moses, Noah, Paul. But you know those from reading and your relationship with Christ. But who are your earthly heroes? Someone you can reach out to and talk to and mentor, can mentor you. Uh, living an example. 
Because that's, people don't do what you say, they do what they see. They do what they see. And you didn't see Moses, you didn't see Noah, you didn't see Jesus, you didn't see any of those. I answered the question this way about living through that, and my father was the primary example of what, why, and who I am today because of his modeling behavior. My father didn't refuse to become a victim. He never spoke ill. Part of me say he had a right to speak ill. But do we really have a right to speak ill of anyone? No. As a teenager, I would say, justified, Father, can you say something bad about these people that are spitting on you? And the reason I say that is because I want to share this story, and I may talk about it a little bit, but now that you asked that, because I think this story is going to set the tone for why I do what I do today, looking <clears throat> through the windshield versus the rearview mirror. And I share that when I speak to veterans, because a lot of our veterans look, they continue to look through the rearview mirror saying the good old days. You've heard that before? The good old days. Well, my better day is coming. I don't know about you. I just don't know about you, but my better day is coming. So the only reason it's going to become better because what I do today is not what I did yesterday, what I do today. And so I talk about that. As a matter of fact, one of my keynotes for veterans is rear view versus windshield. And they get it because they drive cars. And so they understand looking through the rear view mirror. And I share this because of my father. <clears throat> when I was about uh, 12 or 13, and we've, my father managed to save enough money to take me into Carthage to get a, a Fisher haircut. At that moment, we were getting haircuts at home, the handheld clippers, less, yes, put in the bowl on the head, cutting around the bowl, and then sometimes taking the bowl off and do as much trimming as possible without making us look too bad. But we did look terrible, to be honest with you, we looked terrible. <laughs> but we didn't know any difference, it's just the way it was. But he saved up enough money. He said, I'm the youngest. And so my other siblings, my other brothers, they thought they was all big and brave and bad. And they off doing their thing and chasing this, chasing alcohol and chasing drugs and getting out of the woods. And, but I happened to be the youngest. And somehow I just kind of stayed close to my dad. And he is mine. So we get enough money to get out of the woods. So we walk from out of the woods down 31, farm to Market Road 31, intersect with Farm to Market Road 123, another block over, and then there's the Wilkerson Grocery Store, a little country store, and we stand there by the sign, and anyone familiar with this symbol? Thumb a ride, thumb a ride to, so anyone that's coming by, and they recognize us, and then they would give us a ride. We would ride into Carthage, about 13 miles, 14 miles away, because my father has raised enough money, saved enough money for me to get my Fisher haircut. I think it was a dollar twenty-five. I'm not sure exactly the amount. That's a lot of money. I'm just going to tell you that was a lot of money. And so we get off the, uh, we get out of the car <clears throat> on the corner, right there on the square of Carthage, and now we're walking down the sidewalk on the square, heading to anyone familiar with this word, Colored Town. Okay, yes, color town. Color people here, white people here. It wasn't Negro, it wasn't black, it was colored. It's on my arrow. While we're walking 
heading towards Cullertown, we get approached by a white man and his little son. And it's, I'm going to assume it's about my age, 12 years old, maybe younger. I'm not sure exactly about my size. And the little white boy spit on my dad. And the dad said, zero. Zero word. And he called my dad the N-word. And he called my dad boy. Now we're talking a boy calling a grown man. That was the terminology. My dad never said a word. Never looked up. You just didn't look whites in the eye. You always somewhat took a submissive position and looked down. And my dad did that. And the dad of the white boy never said a word. And my dad grabbed me and said, come on, son, let's go, let's go, let's go. In my spirit, because I'm not going to speak and say anything, but in my spirit, while we're walking into Color Town, I'm thinking, my dad is a coward, a chicken, a yellow belly, worthless. That's what I'm thinking. Because he didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. And so I get into the, we get into the barbershop, and we wait our turn, and Mr. O.W. Williams cuts my hair, and of course they're playing dominoes and carts in the Color Town barbershop, in the barbershop, talking about whatever's happening in the world. And I'm just a little boy, and I'm just listening. I'm, I, you don't speak as a kid. You don't speak. Adults are talking. You just don't speak. And so we leave, and we walk back to the square. We walk down a few blocks to the uh, bus station, the train track. Sit on that brick wall. Someone come by. We get a ride home back into Deberry. Never, I have never said a word. And my father called me in. We talk. He says, son, you always treat people better than they treat you. Regardless of how people treat you, you treat them with dignity and you treat them with respect. Ladies and gentlemen, I am standing here today because my father was bold. He was brave. He was courageous. He was willing to protect his family at all costs because if he had spoken up and said anything that day, he would have been hung. He would have been jailed. And I would not be here today. So I honor my dad. And I always look forward and never look back because I had a man in my life that model how to treat people regardless of who they are, regardless of what they come from, regardless of what they do to you. I was modeled by my father. That was my model walking the face of the earth. And that was my model in my house. It was not something that I read in a book. And because of that time, I had to go through that to do what I do today. That's why Leadership is so important to me. That's why we need to embrace people as they are, regardless of the differences, regardless of their thought process. You look for the good in everybody. When I see Tyler, I see a 10, regardless of that. No matter what, he's, he and I may disagree on 100%, but he's still my brother. Regardless. I'm never going to deny that because of what my father did that day. And my, part of me saying that he was justified 
justified. At least in my spirit, I wanted to be justified and fight back. But the strength is not the punch. The strength is the restraint. That's the strength. And that's what we must learn to do today. Joel and I have had some very deep conversations and we, look, we start looking for the differences. Look for the likeness. Embrace the likeness. Joel is my brother. Regardless, you are my sister. Regardless, my dad taught me to look into the windshield, not in the rearview mirror. It's not about the good old days. It's about what you're doing today to make a difference in people's lives tomorrow. Amen. That's what we got to do. And if you can embrace that every day of your life, that's why it's important. That's why Jesus came and died for us to embrace each other. That's why I love this church. That's why I love this pastor. And that's why leadership is important. God is a leader. Jesus was the ultimate leader. Ken Blanchard, I can tell this story. Jesus CEO, Lori Beth Jones' book, Love, Lead Like Jesus by Ken Blanchard. And I have trained pastors all over Japan, Africa, and the United States to embrace that. And then my niche is when I go back to my hometown to embrace those pastors, to embrace those administrators, I'm constantly doing that. God has asked me to do that. And Jesus could not minister in his own hometown. And I'm here to tell you, Tyler is tough ministering in my own hometown. Why? They knew me as Jeffrey. They knew me as a 13-year-old. And that's all they remember because they're not willing to open up their mind and open up their heart and receive what Christ is sharing with them at the moment because they're living in the rearview mirror. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. I want to encourage you, uh, all of you, um, you've probably heard it said a hundred different ways, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, you know, show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future. Uh, I'm very intentional with with how I pick my friends. Uh, I pick friends that inspire me and Jeff's my friend and Jeff inspires me. Uh, Jeff and I have had really, we've had some hard conversations. We've had, we've talked, we talk about real stuff. Um, we've had moments that we didn't agree, but we're still friends. We don't have to agree on everything to be friends. I think that's one of the biggest problems in our world today is people want to make everyone conform to what they think and what they believe. And if you don't think like I think, then you're dead to me. I, I want to be sharpened by people that think differently than have a different experience and have a different, uh, that, that see the world from a different angle. I, I, I look for friends like that. Um, I want Jeff to pray over you guys today, but I know you also have a verse that you want to read that, that uh, was kind of a final point for you. Is that something that you uh, still want to do? If you do, we can do that. Well, let me just share this before I pray. And then, of course, I think I've shared the scripture with you. It's from Nehemiah, uh, the uh, first chapter, verses 4 through 11. And you, don't, you can refer to it later on. And it's very, very clear. And I'll just read a couple things. And as a matter of fact, I'm not even going to read the, the scripture, but obviously understand that Le- ne- Nehemiah was a lay person, just you and I. And what we talked about, you can lead from any position, whatever you are. You can lead. You are a leader. Don't ever deny that you are not a leader. You're 13-year-old, that person is a leader, no matter what it is. So I think the scripture is up there. I think it's up there. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay? Because the first person that you and I need to lead are ourselves. And that's what I try to educate my school leaders, my parents, and my pastoral leaders. Lead thyself first. Once you model that, people do what you do, not what you say. So it's important that you and I model that, regardless of the position that you have. And I wanted to use Nehemiah as a foundation of scripture for leading thyself first. And he can put the other scripture up, but you can read it for yourself. But he learned to do that. What Nehemiah learned to do, he remained sensitive to the need of others. And you have to be sensitive to the, the need of others. And you listen to what others are saying to you. Be sensitive to that. Nehemiah did that. And what else Nehemiah did? He exercised self-discipline. You have to exercise self-discipline. Get up early, go to bed late, whatever you and I need to do, but it has to be self-discipline because what you do, it will show. Regardless whether you want to speak about it or not, it will be revealed. And the reason I say that, the self-discipline, some things that my father taught me I'm still doing today is unconsciously, unconsciously, but it's still intentionally. I give you one thing and then I want to pray. But I want you to go and read 4 through 11, Nehemiah, first chapter 4 through 11. Just kind of read this story. Before he even built a wall around Jerusalem, he had to discipline himself. He had to fast and he had to pray. He had to ask God to forgive the Jews and all their sins. He took it on, on his own self, the responsibility as an organization. As a parent, as a dad, don't you speak up for your children? As a leader of an organization, don't you advocate for your employees? You have to do that. And that's leading like Jesus, no matter where you are. But one of the key disciplines that my father shared with me, I'm going to put this down now, one of the key disciplines that my father shared with me, I think I shared with you about that he's definitely asked me to always treat people the way that they, you, want to, you want to be treated, regardless of how they treat you. But to this day, a very simple thing, it may be insignificant to you, but it carries a lot of weight with me because it came from my daddy. And that is, my father told me, son, just because we are poor, you don't have to look poor. You don't have to act poor. He shared that with me because I watched my father get up early in the morning, early in the morning, by 4 o'clock. One morning, I didn't get up at 4 o'clock and the bed was on top of me. That's okay. <laughs> yes, he did because you're going to lay there a few minutes because 4 o'clock, we had to get up and Take, take care of the chickens and the hogs and do all those things before, 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 you, before we got, got on the school bus. But his answer was, just because you are poor, you don't have to look poor. And I watched my father get up and those dirty coveralls that he had on before, they didn't enter the house. Even though it was a shack, he treated it like a mansion. He never entered those boots that he wore out in the field every day that was all dirty. They never entered the house because he treated it like a mansion. And here we are sweeping dirt off the floor into the cracks, into the ground because my mom and dad wanted to treat it like a mansion. 
And he took that smoothing iron, and every night he ironed those coveralls for him to go to the field the next day because he wanted to look good. Even though he's in the field, his coveralls was ironed. His shoes was clean. He was shaved, and he's going to the field. And he modeled that in front of me. And I still dress the same way today. And most of you, I get told quite a bit, man, you should dress well. Well, it's what my father taught me. Just because you look poor, just because you are poor, doesn't mean you have to look poor. So those are habits. I still shine my shoes. I still shine my shoes. I still iron my clothes. And if he can take a smoothing iron, I sure can plug up iron. And it's not about the plug, and it's not about the smoothing. It's about the habit and the discipline. That's what it has to be about. And to this day, I still eat vegetables because we didn't have a lot of meat. Chicken and hog, that was it. But I eat a lot of, eat a lot of vegetables because of that. But it's about the discipline. And hopefully my worries... Is not here to inspire you, but each one of you have a story. And I want you to connect to your story and learn to share your story because your story is just as important as mine. My story is no less or no greater. It is your story. Write your story. Embrace the journey. Don't deny it. Accept it. My wife is not here right now. She was here for first service, but she is my role model. My wife and I, she is... my wife is a PhD student. She's 67, a year older than I am. And guess what we're still doing? She has been a CEO of a hospital, all coming out of Carthage, Texas, because I choose no more illiteracy. My father signed my birth certificate with an X, and we said no more illiteracy. My oldest daughter's a pediatrician. My youngest daughter's an attorney. Because we all going that direction and not going that direction. Good, that's good. So stand, let's pray, let's close out. Dear Lord, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your mercy and your grace, your undying love. Lord, we thank you for your giveness because, Lord, we all have come short of the glory of God. Bless this congregation. Bless these people. Let them share their story. Touch their heart. Touch their mind. Lead them to the right people that they need to be a blessing for because they are a blessing. Lord, they are a masterpiece. Why? Because they are a piece of the master. And you are the master of all things. So, Lord, we give you glory. We give you honor. And we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said. Amen.